It is uh, great to be back in God's house. Always great to be back preaching at your home church, amen, despite our rigorous road schedule. And uh, again, many of you know, if you weren't here this morning, I got back from Israel about a week ago, my 32nd trip to the Holy Land, and uh, was not out there bringing a tour group or anything like that. We went out there to evangelize and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Jews and Arabs. And I made that analogy uh, this morning that... This 52nd Israel Gospel Outreach was like, was likened to a no-hitter. And the reason why I say that is because there was not one single solitary rejection of the Word of God. All 36 Bibles that were distributed in shopping malls in Israel, not one rejection. Especially by the IDF soldiers, the Israeli Defense Force soldiers on Mount Hermon, uh, in the Golan Heights. And as I shared this morning, Mount Hermon is the uh, area where the transfiguration of Jesus took place uh, 2,000 years ago. And there's an IDF military base up there. And we go right into those barracks with waters and ch- uh, chocolate bars, potato chips. And uh, we give them that, but we also give them the word of God. Amen? It's not just about the physical food. It's also the spiritual food, right? Matthew 4.4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so we had the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Uh, they took the complete Hebrew Bibles from us. They took the Jewish gospel tracts. And, uh, and I always tell them, hey, guys, you know what happened on this mountain 2,000 years ago? Well, what? Mazeh. What? Yeshua. Yeshua's Hebrew for salvation. He shall save his people from his sins, Matthew 1.21. I said 2,000 years ago, Yeshua. Jesus was transfigured on this very mountain. And they always like to challenge me every time I ask them what happened on that mountain 2,000 years ago. Then I tell them, well, what ancient cities below this mountain? Well, Caesarea Philippi, they'll tell you. Well, of course, that's mentioned in Matthew chapter 16 where Peter confessed Jesus Christ to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then the next chapter, chapter 17, says Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John to a high mountain. Obviously, that's Mount Ramon. There are two disputed sites for the transfiguration in uh, Israel. One in the lower Galilee, which would be Mount Tabor. They say in Hebrew, Har Tabor, Mount Tabor, which is not the site of the transfiguration because it's not the highest mountain in Israel. Then you have Mount Hermon, which stands about 9,222 feet high. That is where the transfiguration took place. They were absolutely blown away by that. And they said, I'm going to go back to my barracks. I'm going to eat the chocolate bars the potato chips, drink the water, and read what you're telling us here. Two years ago, as I said this morning, two years ago, uh, when uh, Dr. Baker and I went there, one of them looked at us and pointed his finger at us and said, I remember you two. And I'm saying to myself, oy vey, here it comes. (laughs) But it was good, though. He says, I remember you two. I'm like, okay. He says, you gave gave me a Bible. Do you remember? I'm like, "Uh, we, we see so many people in Israel. We pass out so many Bibles. He said, you gave me a Bible. I read the literature that you gave me. And I want to let you know that I can now consider myself, this is what he said, a complete Jew. I said, are you saying? He says, yes, I trusted in Yeshua as my Messiah and Savior. Listen, like I told you, soul winning in Israel is totally different than how you do it here in the West. You've got to use common sense, amen? It's not illegal to go soul winning in Israel because it is a democracy. You have churches, you have synagogues, and yes, you have mosques uh, out there. But it's illegal if you try to convert underage, or the elderly, but everybody else is fair game in between. Despite all the anti-missionary organizations out there in Israel, like Yad Lachem, 
Yad Lachem is an anti-missionary organization that will do anything in their power from keeping people like me from going over there and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I've been doing this with Dr. Baker since 2015. Uh, Zola Levitt Ministries sends both him and I out there, all expenses paid, uh, to do exactly that. Share the gospel of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, amen? And we walk into those shopping malls in Tel Aviv, the Dizengoff Mall in Tel Aviv, the big mall in Tiberias near the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias is mentioned twice in the New Testament, John 6, 1, uh, John 21, 1. And then, of course, uh, we go into shopping malls in Nazareth, the boyhood town of the Lord Jesus. Shopping malls in Haifa, near Mount Carmel. That was Elijah's reason, our, our region uh, back in the day. And then, of course, for the first time in six years, we drove all the way south. Well, I drove all the way south, about four, four and a half hours from Jerusalem to the very extreme southern tip of the state of Israel, a place called Elat, E-I-L-A-T. In the Bible, it's Eloth, E-L-O-T-H, where the Bible says Solomon had a navy of ships at Eloth overlooking the mountains of Edom. And when you go there, the mountains of Edom are to our left. Jordan is to the east there, and Egypt is to the west. And there is the beautiful Red Sea right in front of you. The same Red Sea that the Bible says God pardoned, amen, allowing the children of Israel to cross over uh, dry land. Go to my YouTube page, August Rosado. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. We have all of our recent teaching coming from Israel, from Elat, Jerusalem. Uh, we always pick out certain areas, and Dr. Baker and I, after our day of evangelizing, will uh, pick out a biblical spot and we'll teach right there on location. So you can go to my YouTube channel and you can um, check that out. Also, I wrote a brand new book, and we do have this book available. It is called The Political, Setting the Stage for the Prophetic to be Fulfilled. This is a brand new book. And I look at the uh, geopolitical activities of 2022, and I give you a prophetic perspective on the geopolitical activities of this year. The book is somewhat of a companion to the two books that I've written, Bible Eschatology 1 and Bible Eschatology uh, 2. So this one's somewhat of a companion book to that. The only difference is this is up to date of uh, activities of 2022 and how I believe that it is set in the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It runs about 121 pages or so, but we do have this book available if you are um, interested. And uh, pray for us as we get ready for another trip to Israel in March of 2023. This would be my 33rd trip to the Holy Land to carry out the 53rd Israel uh, Gospel Outreach. But you can also go with my wife and I to Israel on our Bible prophecy tours. Those are non-evangelism uh, tours. I go there and teach you Bible prophecy on location. We got a trip uh, in the works for April of 2023. So if you're interested in coming with us, uh, you can let us know at the um, end of uh, the service. All right, let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of Revelation, if you will. Revelation chapter number nine. I'm hoping that we can get this uh, transition thing going here. For some reason, we always have issues with it. But if not, they'll transition for me over there in the, in the sound room there. Uh, we're going to be looking at Revelation 9, uh, 15 and 16. Revelation 9, 15 and 16. Again, like I, I said this morning, and I really would appreciate that, if you do have your cell phones, if you can please silent, silence your cell phones so that they do not uh, go off because we don't want any uh, distractions here in the service. Amen. Because God wants you to hear something. He wants me 
to hear something. Amen. So if you can silence those cell phones, that would be a, a huge blessing so that there'd be no distractions here um, uh, tonight. And I really would appreciate your cooperation uh, with that. Revelation chapter 9. And actually, I'm going to begin in verse 13. Now, this is the tribulation period. And this is the second series of sevens that are happening here. The trumpet judgments, if you will. We have the seal judgments, right? Revelation chapter 6. Who opens the seal judgments? The Lord Jesus. Okay, because John said in Revelation 6, 1, I saw when the Lamb, who's the Lamb? Jesus, right? John 129, John 136, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus opens the seven seals to unleash the wrath of God upon the earth. Once that is complete and one-fourth of the world's population is wiped out from the seal judgments, Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 8, John said a fourth of humanity perishes. Now when you get over to Revelation chapter 9, now you have another series of sevens. And this time it's the trumpet judgments. Jesus dispatches angels to blow shofar in Hebrew shofarim in the plural. Seven trumpet judgments. Let me just say this, folks. All seven years of the tribulation period or the 70th week is the wrath of God. And this is contrary to what these guys who hold to the pre-wrath uh, position and what they say, the first three and a half years is the wrath of man. One-fourth of the last half is the wrath of Satan. And about maybe a year and a half of it is the wrath of God. No. All seven years is the wrath of God. Amen? Because we look at Revelation 8-2, John said, I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So obviously it's the wrath of God. When you get to the vile or the bold judgments in chapter 16, John said in Revelation 16, 2, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Just read the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, for its plain sense interpretation. Minus the fluff, minus the hype, minus the sensationalism. I tell people on my live stream, Wednesday through Friday, if you're coming here looking for something new, you ain't going to get it. Because I'm just going to teach the plain sense interpretation of Scripture. Because the Bible is its best own interpreter, right? If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense, or you will end up with nonsense. I've told you this already. One of the most abused doctrines in the church today among Christians is the doctrine of eschatology, the, the doctrine of last things, Bible prophecy. One of the most abused doctrines in the church today, giving it a bad uh, reputation. Revelation 9.13, the sixth trumpet sounds. And it says in verse 13, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before, there it is again, God, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year for to slay a third part of man. In the sealed judgments of Revelation 6.8, one-fourth of humanity is wiped out. Now you're in the trumpet judgments, another one-third is wiped out. And verse 16 says it's this, And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000, or myriad of myriads. 
And I heard a number of them. Let's pray tonight. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we can be here in the house of God. Lord, we pray for unity in this house tonight. We pray for your shalom, your peace upon this house tonight. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as I preach this message, that we would get a hold of the throne of God. And that, Lord, in return, you would get a hold of our hearts tonight. And, Father, I ask that we would hear from heaven and that your Holy Spirit would have his will and his way tonight. And, Lord, we do pray for those that are right now going through so many health issues, like Kathy and her having COVID for the fourth time, and many others, Lord, in this church that are going through health issues right now. I'm praying that your hand be upon them, Lord, that you would give them grace at this time. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God that healeth thee. And that healing, Lord, can only come from you. Not from some guy on TV, not from some guy on Christian radio. Healing comes from you. We don't have that power to heal, but you do, Lord. And I'm asking you, Heavenly Father, tonight that you would speak to each and every one of us. And if there is someone here under my voice, lost, undone, one trumpet sound away from being left behind at the rapture, one heartbeat away from going to hell for all of eternity, I pray, Lord, that tonight they would settle that, that the Holy Spirit of God would convict, See their need for the Savior. Call upon the name of the Lord. And be ready for either one or two things. Either death or the next main event we call the rapture of the church. So, Father, may you now be glorified in everything that is said and done here this morning. Be with Pastor Tony. Be with Don. And just continue to give him that, that relaxation, Lord. Continue to give him that, that rest dear Lord. And give him travel mercies as they make their way back home this week. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen and amen. Let's see if this is going to work for us. And just as I said, whoa, well, there you go. Might be a little bit of a delay there, but we'll see how it goes. So when we think of these two rivers in Mesopotamia, this was where, and I can't use my laser on the TV screen, but over here you're looking at the water sources for what would have been over here, the Garden of Eden. When we read Revelation chapter 9, it tells us that the Euphrates River is dried up, that the way the kings of the east might be prepared. A 200 million man army. When you think about the Euphrates River, and to the right would be the Tigris River, one day, the Euphrates is going to dry up. The Euphrates is in the northeastern part, north of what is today the state of Israel. That was part of Israel's land grant. That belongs to the Jews, man. There are at least 38 passages in the Old Testament that attest to Israel's original land grant. And I will give you that original land grant in just a few moments. But the two rivers that were the water source of the Garden of Eden are the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. These two rivers, as you know, are still in existence today in the area of what would be southern 
Iraq. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, right, that there were four rivers that watered the garden eastward of Eden. The Septuagint, you know what the Septuagint is? You're familiar with the Septuagint? It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, translated into Greek by uh, 70 rabbis, roughly at around maybe 270 B.C. or so, uses the Greek word paradisos, meaning parkland, paradise for the Garden of Eden. What does Eden mean? Delight, enjoyment, and the Bible says it was located eastward or off east, most likely what you're looking at right now, Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. One river goes out, and that one river parts into four rivers. That river parted into four rivers. Let's, let's back up a little bit here uh, and keep your finger in Revelation, but go with me to Genesis chapter 2, okay? Hold your place in Revelation. Go all the way to the very first book of the Bible. How do they call Genesis in Hebrew? Bereshit. Bereshit, Bereshit is Hebrew for beginnings. In Genesis 1-1, when they read out of the Torah, they will start off in Genesis 1-1. Bereshit bara Elohim v'yeh hashmaim v'yeh In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. When we get to Genesis chapter 2, notice with me in verses 10 and 11. Genesis chapter 2, 10 and 11. Now notice this, Genesis chapter 2, 10 and 11. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads, or four rivers. The name of the first is Pison, that is which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. And there is the bellium and the oxstone. The name of the second river is Gihon. The same it is that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittichel. What is the Hittichel today? The Tigris. That's the Tigris River. That is which goeth toward the east of Syria. And the fourth is? It's right there. The Euphrates River. One river went out and it parts, ladies and gentlemen, into four rivers. Now we know the Pison and the Gihon are no longer in existence. Now, many have, I'm trying to find the right word here, erroneously, <laughs> tried to make a connection between the Garden of Eden and the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, claiming that the Gihon Springs is the Gihon River. Can we go to that? Let's see if I can transition again. If not, let's see. Come on. Now, guys, just transition for me. There you go right here. You're looking at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Hit it again, guys. The Temple Mount in Jerusalem. You're looking at that golden shrine of the Dome of the Rock that's occupied the site where the first and second Jewish temple stood for roughly just a little over 1,300 years. Solomon's temple stood on that same platform for 400 years before the Babylonians destroyed it in 586 B.C. Herod's temple stood there for 600 years in the time of Jesus Christ before the Romans destroyed it in 70 A.D. Jesus Christ was on that 
very platform 2,000 years ago. In Hebrew, it's called Har Harbayit, Hill of the House. What's the house? The Beit HaMikdash, the first and second Jewish temples. Now you have that Islamic shrine over the Dome of the Rock. Many try to say that is where the Garden of Eden was located. That is where Adam and Eve were created. Why do they say that? Because underneath the Temple Mount would be a spring that starts on the eastern side of the city called the Gihon Springs. And many try to equate the Gihon Springs with the Gihon in Revelation chapter number 2. Let's go to that next slide, please. Now, if you come to Israel with us, I want to take you on a walk. If you're not claustrophobic, I want you to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. A tunnel, if you hit it again, please. A tunnel that is mentioned in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse number 20. The Gihon Springs will start right where you see those steps, and it still gushes 2,700 years later. 2,700 years ago, King Hezekiah, knowing the Assyrian threat is coming, if they find this water, guys, we're dead. What do they do? Hezekiah had a team go on the outside of the walls, a team within the walls, and they just started chiseling and chiseling and chiseling, and the Bible says the waters gushed forth. You can still see the pick marks from the pickaxes that they used from 2,700 years ago. And as you're walking, it's probably a good maybe 20-minute walk. When you get to the very end of Hezekiah's tunnel, there's a pool there known as the Pool of Siloam. Sound familiar? John chapter 9, where Jesus sends the blind man to wash the mud from his eyes. And just as you get to the very end of Hezekiah's tunnel, they found an inscription, which is in the Turkish museum today. The Turkish government promised to give it back to Israel. They haven't done it yet, but they said they're going to do it. And it is a 2,700-year-old inscription as to how they constructed that tunnel. You can see replicas of it on uh, the um, Internet uh, today. But it was a Gihon Spring out, uh, within the city of David that brought water to the inhabitants of the city in biblical times. So because that spring is named Gihon, many try to connect it with the Gihon River of Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. There is no basis for this at all. First, the Gihon over there, it's not a river. It's a spring. There's a difference between a spring and a river. Second, the Gihon that was one of the four rivers is eastward and is exactly that, folks. It is a river. It is not a spring. That's like trying to say, well, Dallas, Texas is the same as Dallas, Georgia. You see what I'm getting at here, folks? I hate it when people manipulate scripture to try to Create something new to try to think outside the box. Just take the Bible for what it says, amen? amen? Even though you have two cities with the same names, but if they're in what? Two different locations. That's the Gihon Springs under the Temple Mount. The Gihon River is eastward, which would have been in Mesopotamia today, modern-day 
Iraq. So we need to stop saying that the Temple Mount is where the Garden of Eden was located. It was not, ladies and gentlemen. Just read the Bible for its plain sense interpretation. Same name, two different locations, right? Same name, two different locations. Just read the Word of God for its plain sense interpretation. Don't, don't get cute with the Scriptures. Don't get cute. <clears throat> don't try to manipulate and try to, and try to create something that obviously, folks, <clears throat> is not there. Why can't we find the Pison River today? Why can't we find the Gihon River today? Possibly due to the typographical change of the continent after the global worldwide flood in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. Obviously, the, 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 the Tigris and the Euphrates survived that because they're still in existence. But we can't find the Pison and the Gihon. I'm just throwing something out there to you. You might have a better explanation as to why we can't find the Pison and the Gihon uh, rivers today. In either case... The two rivers that are still in existence today are the Tigris and the Euphrates. Daniel, the Jewish prophet Daniel, prophesied at the river Hittichel. He prophesied at the Tigris rivers. The Tigris were biblically known as the Hittichel that went east of Assyria. How do I know that it went east of Assyria? How do I know that? The Bible tells me. <laughs> uh, let me read for you Genesis Chapter 2, you can go there if you want, but uh, in Genesis chapter 2 and uh, verse number 14, uh, it says this. And the name of the third river is Hittichel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth is Euphrates. Where is biblical Assyria located today? In what modern country? North Iraq. You know what they call it today? Mosul. Did you know that the terrorist group ISIS had that run in the mill there? They destroyed the traditional tomb of the prophet Jonah. Remember that story? They destroyed it. The, we don't know if that's the exact tomb, but it's the traditional tomb of the prophet. They destroyed it. Why? Jonah went there, right? That was ancient Nineveh. Back in the day. Today, it's modern day Mosul. Now, go to this uh, next slide, please. And I got this from the, uh, a website. You go to the next, let me see. Can you go to the next slide there, please, guys? There you go. Okay, now you're looking at where biblical Assyria would have been. It was Jonah that went all the way up there. From Joppa which would be today near Tel Aviv in Israel. He goes from there all the way to Assyria, and he prophesies to the people of Nineveh. And right over here is where Mosul would be today. Next slide, please. So I got this from the Atlantic. This isn't some Christian website. This is a secular website, folks. Look what it says. The Garden of Eden becomes a UNESCO world Heritage site. The Iraqi marshes just received the official designation. I'm like, that's a pretty interesting um, article. And when I read some of the article, it said Iraq's marshlands, which lie in the confluence of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, are believed to be the inspiration for the Bible's biblical Garden of Eden. And it was, it was named as a UNESCO World Heritage 
sight. Do you remember Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 18? God promised Abram and his seed this land from Egypt, the Nile River of Egypt, all the way to the great river, the river Euphrates. All the way up north, ladies and gentlemen. All that land was given to the Jewish people by divine right. You know what rightfully belongs to the Jews today? Let me rattle them off for you. The 38 passages in the Old Testament that attest to Israel's original land grant. Do they possess it now? No, but they will in the future when King Jesus is ruling from the city of Jerusalem for 1,000 years. Here's what rightfully belongs to the Jewish people. Half of Egypt, all of Israel, all of Lebanon, all of Jordan, all of Syria, three-fourths of Iraq, all of Kuwait, three-fourths of Saudi Arabia. That all belongs to the Jewish people, given to them by divine right. But yet today, we got the powers that, that are to be are saying something totally different from the scriptures. The Jews have no right to that land. Oh, yes, they do. And that land was given to them by divine right. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 25. And we can go on and on and on and on. That was all given to the Jewish people by divine right. Again, half of Egypt, all of Israel, all of Lebanon, all of Jordan, all of Syria, three-fourths of Iraq, all of Kuwait, three-fourths of Saudi Arabia, that all belongs to the Jewish people. And again, looking at Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 18, and I love what God says here in verse number 18. He says this. He says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. I didn't make that up. God wrote it. I just quote it. That all belongs to the Jewish people. It is given to them by divine right. Now with Israel's rebirth, as a nation, right, May 14th, 1948, after 2,000 years of global dispersion, it is now set in the stage for her final restoration that will happen at Jesus' second coming back to this earth when they will finally receive their full land grant. I'm talking the Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled with Israel's full land grant realized and the Davidic covenant, that will be realized as well. When one day Jesus is seated on David's throne, he will reestablish David's throne. He will sit on that throne for 1,000 years. I take that to be literal. Sick and tired of Christians allegorizing, allegorizing, allegorizing. Stop allegorizing. You know what happens when you allegorize? You know what happens when you spiritualize? You can make this book sound any way that you want. You're playing the role of God. You're in the driver's seat. How can, uh, Brother Tom, I, I, I don't understand how Christians can have a problem with Jesus reigning for a thousand years on this wicked world. And they'll allegorize that. They, they call themselves amillennialists. You know, in the Greek, you put the letter A in front of a word and negates that word. So if you put the letter A in front of millennium, no millennium. Oh, you, you can't take Revelation chapter 20, 2 through 7, literally for a thousand years. Why not? Well, you just can't. You can do better than that. 
There is no rhyme or reason whatsoever to allegorize and spiritualize Revelation chapter 20 and says it means something else. I think I may have told you the story of my friend, Dr. Dave Reagan of Lamb and Lion Ministries. He belonged to a church of Christ. You want to talk about amillennialists? Those guys are amillennialists with their baptismal regeneration garbage and all this stuff. But yet his, he said, he, I heard my pastor every single Sunday said, Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. He is not coming back to planet Earth. He will never step foot on planet Earth again. And his pastor kept on reiterating that over and over and over and over again. And David would go around telling people, my pastor said Jesus would never step foot on the Earth again. He's a pastor. He's right. Until he did something that blew him away. He read Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 4. He says, wait a minute. My pastor said Jesus would never step foot on the earth again. Yet why is Zechariah saying this? And on that day shall his feet stand upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. He says, that sounds like a second coming passage here. So he, he was so disturbed by that. He's telling me the story at his studio before he interviewed me on his TV show. And, he, and uh, he said he went to his pastor. He said, Pastor, you said Jesus would never step foot on the earth again. He said, that's right. He says, well, Pastor, you need to explain this to me. I, I just read Zechariah 14.4. Read it. Look what it says. He said the pastor took the Bible out of his hands, looked at Zechariah 14.4, looked at Dave, looked at it again, looked at Dave with his quizzical look, looked at it the third time, slammed the Bible shut. And looked at David, and this is what he said. Son, I don't know what that verse means. But I'll tell you this, it doesn't mean what it says. That's the problem we have in the church today. God doesn't say what he means. It means what he says. You've got to take the scriptures for their plain sense interpretation. Especially... In the area of Bible prophecy. Oh, we have no problem taking these first coming prophecies literally, but for some reason they have a problem with the second coming prophecies. And what do they do? Allegorize, allegorize, allegorize. You never allegorize unless the Bible itself tells you to do so. And if it doesn't, don't. You take it, ladies and gentlemen, for its plain sense interpretation. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Luke 1, 32 and 33, he will one day reign upon David's throne in the city of Jerusalem, in the land of Israel for 1,000 years. Jesus ain't going to reign from Rome. <laughs> He's not going to reign from Britain. I know they have a monarch over there. He's not going to reign from Thailand. They have a monarch over there as well. He's not going to reign from the United States of America. Oy vey. But you know what country he's going to reign from? Look at the laser. He's going to reign in that country. So I'm putting all of you anti-Semites on notice. Jesus is going to come and crush Gentile world powers. He is going to one day overthrow the governments of this world and establish his own Davidic theocratic government. Amen. Right there from the city of Jerusalem. I'm not a good singer, <laughs> but man, I was a couple of weeks ago. I was at the Dan Hotel, our hotel in Jerusalem. It was at night and I'm looking at the Mount of Olives. It's all lit up, man. Oh, my stars. What a view. 
And I just started singing songs in Hebrew there in Jerusalem, right on the balcony of our hotel. And one of my favorite songs is Jerusalem, City of Gold. Yerushalayim shazahav v'shelechoshev v'sheor Halolikoshiarik ani kinor Jerusalem, the city of gold. Let me be a violin unto all your songs. Uh, for some reason, at that very moment, man, I just, the Holy Spirit just got a hold of me. And I just started singing all these songs in Hebrew, which, by the way, is on my, my YouTube page. Jerusalem, our home in the kingdom to come for 1,000 years. The Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled at a second coming. The Davidic covenant will be fulfilled, and Israel's original land grant will be restored. Do you remember these ancient people known as the Sumerians? They settled in that area where you're looking at right now, where all those marshes are, which many believe that's where the Garden of Eden was located. They settled and lived in the area of Mesopotamia, and this was roughly during the third millennium B.C. And in their writings, they always mentioned Eden in their language. And in many of these archaeological uh, records, not the Temple Mount, right there where you're looking at on the screen, and the Sumerians adopted this word from an even earlier people, the Ubedians, who lived in the region between 5500, uh, uh, 5500 B.C. to 3500 B.C. And even the Jewish historian, go to the next slide, please. Even the Jewish historian, Josephus Flavius, in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, said this. He said, he said the land of Cush, what's Cush today? What's modern-day Cush? Africa, Ethiopia. He said the land of Cush bordering on Eden. So much for the Temple Mount in Jerusalem being the Garden of Eden. Go to the next slide, please. Now, this is from the Times of Israel. Twilight, you like the, the, Twilight of the Tigris. Look at this. <coughs> Iraq's mighty river is drying up. Oh, you saw it? Okay, so you know where I'm coming from here now. Twilight of the Tigris, Iraq's mighty river is drying up. It was the river in this article that is said to have watered the biblical Garden of Eden and helped give birth to the cradle of civilization itself. But today, the Tigris, along with the Euphrates, is drying up. Why? Human activity, surprise, surprise, and climate change have choked its once mighty flow through Iraq, where... Its twin river, the Euphrates, it made Mesopotamia a cradle of civilization thousands of years ago. Iraqi officials have asked Turkish officials to release more water as Turkey controls the flow of the Euphrates and Tigris rivers, causing a political rift between both these countries. It's amazing that the Turkish, oh, they don't call themselves Turkey anymore. They call themselves Turkey now. Yeah. They changed the name of their country. We were flying Turkish Airlines in March to Israel with our tour group, and all they were showing on the plane was commercials. Hello, Turkey A. Hello, Turkey A. Hello, Turkey A. Throughout the whole entire commercial, hello, Turkey A. It's not Turkey. You know why it's not Turkey anymore? They don't want it associated with our holiday. That's coming up. 
That's why. So they changed the name from Turkey to Turkey. You just pick up a lot of stuff when you go over there, you know? You really do. But Turk, oh, Turkey uh, controls the flow of the Euphrates River. They can dam up the Euphrates within minutes, they said. And that reminds me of Bible prophecy. We know it's going to look, go back to Revelation. You know, if you're already if you're there, look in, look in verse number fourteen, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. There are four demons that are right now bound in that river. Can you believe that? Four demons that are right now bound that will one day be released. No wonder there's so much garbage going on over there right now. It's a cesspool of terrorist activity over there. And the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. 1.5 billion people dead when the sixth angel blows that trumpet, that shofar. And look what happens in verse 16. And the number of the, uh, the, number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard a number of them. Folks, a 200 million man army to cross over from the Far East into the Middle East over a dried-up river. That story, I don't think, is a coincidence, folks. I think that's set in the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Revelation 9, 13 through 16. And yet, another 1.5 billion people will lose their lives at that time, we see 200 million or, or a myriad of myriad. What's a myriad in scripture? What's a myriad? The definition of a myriad is a countless or extremely great number, an innumerable army, if you will. Go to the next slide, please. Now we go over into the seven vial or bowl. The Greek word there is fiale. Their libation bowls that they would use during the Feast of Tabernacles. They would take up that water from the Pool of Siloam and they would take it to the temple for the water libation, especially during the Feast of Tabernacles. They're not little glass vials. Get rid of this Western thinking, folks. You've got to read the scriptures with Jewish eyes here. Okay? I had a guy in Florida tell me one time, oh, yeah, those vials, you know, and he, what he's talking about, these little glass jars. No, he is not. They're bowls, man. They're libation. They are vials, not little glass jars, if you will. During the seven vials of the book of Revelation, the sixth angel, let's go over there now to Revelation 16, 12. Look at Revelation 16, 12. The sixth angel pours out his libation bowl, and it results in something taking place here. In Revelation chapter 16 and verse number 12, it says this, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water there was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. The kings of the east, an oriental army, crosses over the dried up Euphrates River. That's a buffer between the Far East, the land of the rising sun, to the Middle East. And I'll tell you one thing, I do believe that's China. You know why? China has a population, the largest population in the world, of one point. 426 billion people. B is in boy. 1.426 billion people. During John's day, the Apostle John, it was estimated that the world's population was roughly about 2 million 2,000 years ago. 
today just a little over seven billion. And yet China takes a good chunk of that. One point four hundred and twenty six billion. So now Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period at his second coming. And what does he do? He destroys the armies that come up against him. They gather in the north of the state of Israel, the Jezreel Valley. It's a beautiful valley. When uh, Napoleon was there fighting the Ottoman Turks and their leader, the butcher of Baghdad, Ahmed Azad, this is what he said about the Jezreel Valley. The Jezreel Valley is a natural battlefield for all the nations of the world. I don't know if he was familiar with scripture, but he's right. In Revelation 16, 16, all the nations gather at Armageddon in preparation to make war against him that sat on the horse. But I've read the end of the book. I know who wins. Revelation 17, 14 says, These shall make war with the Lamb, but the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. You know who he's talking about there? They that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. You! The army that was raptured seven years earlier is coming back with him seven years later. When I was taking prophecy Q&A at a church one time, uh, one guy gets up and says, Brother Rosado, are we going to fight side by side with Jesus Christ? He doesn't need you, man. You think he needs your help? You think he needs my help? Oh, no, no. All he does is speak and they go, oh. They drop like flies, man. A sword coming out of his mouth. Eyes as a flame of fire. You better get out of his way. You don't want to be on the wrong side of the room when King Jesus does the sweeping, man. Amen. That's why, aren't you glad you're on the winning side? Aren't you glad you're under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that your salvation is sealed unto the day of redemption? We have a home in heaven waiting for us, a mansion with your name on it. It's all because of him. Nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with him. The Bible says in Isaiah eleven six, he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And then in Revelation 9, 13, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress and the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. They all gather in Jezreel Valley. Then they push their way south to where the battle will take place. The battle for Jerusalem. That's Zechariah 14 too, right? I will gather all nations to Jerusalem for battle. And Jesus Christ is going to meet them headlong in the Jezreel Valley. Head on, man. The Jezreel Valley separating the Mount of Olives to the east from the Temple Mount to the west. The Valley of Jehoshaphat. Don't confuse that with the Jezreel Valley up north. The Valley of Jehoshaphat is in Jerusalem. Joel chapter number 3 calls it the Valley of Jehoshaphat, calls it the Valley of Decision. God will put an end to this madness. And then that battle will probably make its way back up north and Jesus will crush these nations. He will crush the Antichrist and the false prophet. 
then he'll walk through a valley of blood for 176 miles from the Jezreel Valley all the way north, excuse me, all the way south, I should say, to the entrance of Petra in Jordan. Say, August, you act, you, you, you take that literally? Oh, yes, I do. Of course I do. For the sake of argument, according to the United Nothing, again, the United Nations, they say there's 192 nations in the world today. That's what they say. Let's say for the sake of argument, 100 of those nations invade the Jezreel Valley. And those 100 nations produce 1 million soldiers apiece. 100 million soldiers. 100 million soldiers slain could produce 600 million quarts of blood. That's 50 quarts per foot for the space of 1,600 furlongs. What's a furlong in the Bible? 606 feet, 9 inches, about 1 eighth of a mile. What's a cubit? 18 inches from the elbow up to the tip of the finger. 1,600 furlongs is exactly 176 miles from Armageddon to the south to the entrance to Petra. Why at Petra? Why at the door of Petra? Somebody special is being held up there. That's why we take our tour groups over there, Patty, to Petra. I teach them Bible prophecy on location. We walk through that seek, which is about half a mile, and then it just opens up, and there's that five story high treasury. Jesus Christ gets the remaining surviving Jewish remnant, takes them to Jerusalem, and then Zechariah 14.4, and on that day shall his feet stand upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. My favorite place in Jerusalem is to visit the Mount of Olives. Why? That's what Jesus gave the very first Bible prophecy conference in human history, right? We call it the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, he's given a preview of what we're reading in the book of Revelation. And then it was from the Mount of Olives, he ascended back up into heaven, Acts 1-9. And then at a second coming, that's where he puts his foot. That holy toe touches Har Haratzaitim, the Mount of Olives. And then he will establish his kingdom the holy city of Jerusalem, for 1,000 years. So when I see stories like this from a secular standpoint, sometimes I think these secular people know more than Christians concerning the scripture. They seem to take this stuff literally. What's your problem? The Euphrates is drying up. Turkey controls the flow of the Euphrates, and Turkey will also play a major role in Bible prophecy when they join Russia when they join Iran, when they join Ethiopia, when they join Libya, to attack the Jewish state of Israel. Bad news for those guys, they're going to be wiped out. Russia and her Arab allies are going to be wiped out. This past September, we have, we were, Patty and I were in Jordan with our tour group. We're driving toward Petra. Now we've got a good two-hour drive ahead of us. And as we're driving, I noticed a highway sign that said Diban, the town of Diban. I looked at my tour guide. I said, hey, man. I said, can you slow down? I said, that's Diban. He looked right at me. He goes, I know exactly what you're going to say, August. I know exactly what you're going to say. That is Hamengog. 
in the scriptures where Israel will be burying the dead for seven months. He knew exactly what I was about to get to, man. I recognize the town, Debon. That is biblical Ham and Gog in Ezekiel 39, where all of Israel's enemies will be buried. A lot of them. And Israel will be burying them for seven months and then burning their weapons for seven days. What am I telling you, folks? Man, the stage is set. Last slide, please. The stage is being set. That's scary. That is scary. But they're also going to play a major role in Bible prophecy. Stage is set. Actors are getting into position. Curtain is about to go up on the end time drama. We look at the political because the political is set on the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. That's the reason why I wrote this book, The Political, set on the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Everybody seems to be getting into position right now. So, Brother Joe, keep that ear hole on, man. Keep looking up. Why? Brother Rosado like tooting his own horn. In a good way, though. That shofar, that trumpet is about to sound. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, For I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord should not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore? Comfort one another with these words. You're saved, born again, washed by the blood. I'm here to tell you tonight, you can be comforted. Because Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You know why? You're not going through the time of Jacob's trouble. You'll be taken out before the time of Jacob's trouble. And he's going to take us to the Father's house. And when we get to heaven, help me out here, we're going to be there for... <laughs> some of you remembered, some of you didn't. Oh, just a brief seven years in heaven. While the earth below is going through a seven-year period of tribulation. How do I get to that conclusion? I read the Bible for its plain sense interpretation. That's right. I'm sorry, folks. I don't get my doctrine from Christian TV. I don't. I don't get my doctrine from Christian movies. I don't get my doctrine from Christian radio. I get my doctrine from the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the KJV, the Bible. This is where I get my doctrine. All that hype, fluff, nonsense, you can keep it. It's not for me. I get my doctrine from this book. And I'm waiting to hear the sound of a shofar.
faster than you can blink the human eye? You're out. Gone. We're out of here. Right, Lois? We're gone. We're out. And he's going to take us to the Father's house, and we will forever be at the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a day. Glorious day. That is going to be. When my Jesus, I shall see. And I looked upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day. Glorious day that will be. When I go to Israel, I daydream, man. I mean, I see in my mind's eye what it's going to be like when he's ruling from that very city. Take a trip to Israel at least once. Let this book come alive to you like never, ever before. You'll never read it the same way again. Every head bowed, every eye closed.